0: All right. Well, good morning for uh, all of you who are out listening and watching with us on Facebook Live. Some of you may be able to get the audio to this message um, on uh, our website. We'll have those audios uploaded as soon as possible. You can go back and check that um, probably sometime late this evening or first thing in the morning, and you can download any audios that that you may have, uh, that we may have online for you so you can listen at home if you happen to miss this uh, message this morning. So I feel like I need to just kind of take a few moments to do some housekeeping just to kind of remind everybody what we're doing, what we're going to be trying to do moving forward as we take this coronavirus crisis day by day. The first thing that I need to mention is um, for those of you who have not been utilizing our website and our Facebook pages uh, obviously, this is an opportunity for you to do that. We have um, plenty of information, uh, important links um, that you can go to from our website, which is ChristChurchMemphis.com. Uh, some of the links that you may want to pay attention to, number one, we have a donate tab on our ChristChurchMemphis.com website where if you're not here with us in person and you're one of the people that is faithful to give and we're asking everyone to continue to be faithful to give through this uh, difficult time, I know economically, financially, we're, we're all a little uncertain about what the future holds, but as far as I know, God's um, encouragement and commandment for us to be faithful givers is um, even more so in times of, of sacrifice, and so I want to I make sure that you understand that you have that option to give online You have the option, again, to listen to sermon audios under our media tab. And then uh, the new normal moving forward, depending on how long this uh, quarantine or this recommended quarantine lasts, is that we'll probably continue to broadcast these services on our Facebook Live pages um, for the the foreseeable future. And so I wanted to just make sure that you guys understand uh, where we are with that. Uh, The second thing I want to say is that we had... The privilege as a church to feed, I think, close to 500 families yesterday through our help group, we had to make some pretty major adjustments, um, kind of move to more of a drive-by service where we were able to let people stay in their cars as we loaded them with, with um, food and um, necessary uh, things that they, that they might need, and especially in this time. And it was just such a blessing to, to know that, our number one, we had faithful people come out and help serve to make that happen. I want to thank Chris Ellison personally and all that he is uh, doing and has done with our help group. This guy is just, he is just amazing at, at the, the dedication and the, the passion that he has to continue to serve this community, um, especially at times like these. And so he made some, uh, with our elders and, and Chris and some other people, just made some, some really um, great adjustments in the last minute so that we could keep help group going uh, as normal. And so uh, I just want to say a special thank you to Chris and and all our team and and serve uh, partners and volunteers who came out yesterday to make that happen. That was just uh, an amazing testimony of God's love, uh, especially at this time. So um, those are some of the things to be paying attention to. Uh, be, Be sure you're checking our website. Be sure you're checking our Facebook pages Uh, As often as possible, if we have any new information or announcements moving forward over the next week or so, you know we will definitely let everyone know about that. But right now, for the next two weeks, uh, at least for the next two weeks, this Sunday and March 29th, uh, we'll be going to this online live streaming format. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. This is very different for me. And so uh, this is something that uh, I'm going to have to get used to. And so you guys kind of bear with me today. Uh, as we uh, dig into the word of God together. So um, today is a special day for me. Um, so today's my mama's birthday. And uh, my mom was 50 years old when she went to be with the Lord. Uh, it was this October will be 20 years, um, which is, is really hard for me and very difficult for me to believe. Um this October will be 20 years since, since my mother passed away. She was a, she was a nurse, uh, so I think about you know my mother's perspective, uh, especially in what we're going through right now. Um, I know that she would be right here in the middle of all of it. She'd be loving on her family and serving other people and encouraging other people and, and offering her expertise as a nurse um, to do everything that she could to help in the midst of this crisis. She would be the kind of a woman that would be going, running into the fire, so to speak, and it makes me think about our our medical professionals, our nurses, our doctors, everyone that's working in our hospitals and our clinics all over this country. Uh, You guys are heroes uh, because you're putting your uh, health at risk and even your family's health at risk to some extent by the fact that you're willing to go uh, every day into the storm, into the eye of the storm, as we just uh, finished singing, and just to think about how you're giving of yourselves to help those who are in need. That's a beautiful picture, really, of the body of Christ. And, and so I just think about my mother today. She, uh, she would have been 70 today. Um, that's a, a pretty significant number. Um, but obviously, the, the one thing that I can, I can always hold to and rest in for my mother is that she had a testimony. She had a, an overt love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She lived her faith. She showed the love of Jesus Christ. Touched so many lives, but um, and I'll share a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later in this message, about how she impacted so many lives in, in her in her life. And the one thing I can say about my mother is that she lived life to the fullest, um, and uh, I, I feel like she, even though she, you know, she died young. Um, you know, I'm 41 now, so 50 is not that far. Uh, for me 50 is very young and I, I you know looking back on it you know you don't realize it as a, as a young man but now I look back and say man mama was so young but she lived life to the fullest I really feel like she had no regrets and uh, she loved she loves Jesus she's in the presence of, of the Lord Jesus I, I can't wait to see her again and meet her again and she's part of that great cloud of witnesses today that's looking down and if the Lord is allowing the, that cloud of witnesses to look into, uh, our present situation and our, the circumstances of this world and of this nation, I know that they are cheering us on, the, the forever faithful, all of the saints that have, di- that have died in the Lord, who are now in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I like to picture them as being a, uh, a, a, cr- a crowd, this, this beautiful crowd who is cheering us on. We're still running the race. We're still in the middle of this race. And uh, and man, I tell you, some people are struggling. Some people want to give up. Some people are afraid. Some people want to bow out and quit. And I just want you guys to to realize that all of the great faithful saints of old, uh, throughout all generations, they're cheering us on. They're rooting for us. They're 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 pulling for us. And uh, I know that if, if the Lord is allowing them to look down uh, into this time at this moment in, in our in a, our nation's history. Um, that they, they, they know that um, this generation, God allowed this generation to be the generation to go through what we're going through right now. And he's doing that for a reason. And, and, and there's many different reasons that, that we can draw from this time. And there's, there are many different things that we're learning through this. Um, and so I just, when I, when I began to think about this morning, and the message that I wanted to share with our with our church family, even though we are sharing from uh, a distance, uh, I had a couple of decisions to make. And so, number one, I said, you know, well, we can continue to kind of look at the the current crisis and 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 share some some practical things with our church that that all of us probably need to to be reminded of uh, at this time. But you know, I kind of did that last week. And, and I don't want to really beat that drum necessarily too much, because if you, if you want to know, uh, if you want some practical tips about how to make the most of this situation, whether it's family worship or how to serve your neighbors or how to seek God's face through this time. And obviously, many of us have much more time on our hands than we that we uh, don't normally have. And so are we going to spend that time? you know, scouring the news and, and scouring social media and getting caught up in all the frenzy and the hysteria and the fear, or are we going to take advantage of this opportunity as believers to turn to God and seek his face and, and dive deep into his word and practice the discipline of prayer and, and just really rest in, in, the, in the faithfulness in the presence of God. And, and so those are things, obviously, that all of us are, are, are learning through this process and through this opportunity that we have. And so if you want to know more practical ways about maybe maybe what should the church be doing and, and how do we respond through this coronavirus uh, crisis, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. You can find that on our website. Um, there's also a, an entirely different side to this, which is what I call the prophetic side of uh, the coronavirus. A lot of people are are interested in, you know, is this one of the signs of the end times? Could this possibly be one of the the you know preliminary signs that, that kind of get some of the things rolling that, that is going to lead us into um, the, the, the last days that are uh, to come, I would encourage you that uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can, you can, I have a personal blog if you want to check that out. It's called daysofnoah.com. Uh, many of you already check that blog from time to time, and so that's kind of where I, I put a lot of my personal insights and, and try to encourage the believers from my own personal perspective, and so you guys can go there to find more information. And there's a, lot of, there's a ton of great information out there. There's a ton of great teachers and preachers and pastors and people that are speaking on the current events of this day. And so all that being said, you know, when, when God, uh, when, when myself and, and Pastor Randy, our senior pastor, we began praying back in the fall about where would God lead us um, beginning January 2020, you know, what direction was he leading me? Where did we want to start and jump off as far as a, a church family was was concerned? And God kept impressing upon me the need to preach through the book of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so we have just Taking a deep dive into this study, and I'm telling you what, it has just been an amazing week after week, just every week just seems to get better, people are, are digging in, our small groups have been digging in with this Genesis study, our Sunday school classes, and I've been getting just some tremendous feedback and tremendous response from our people saying we, we love this study, we're learning so much, we're, we're growing so much in this study, and so the way I look at this this morning is that I don't know how long we're going to be in this situation. I don't know how long we're going to be in this format uh, where I'm sitting here uh, preaching to a, a somewhat pretty much empty room, knowing that, that, that most of you guys are out there watching uh, at a distance from home or wherever you may be. And I just began to say, you know what? This is our opportunity to, to kind of just pick up where we left off. Let's get back into Genesis Let's get back into the regular rhythm of where God led us, because you know what? I believe that God is sovereign, that he ordained us to begin the book of Genesis, and I don't think he's asking us to quit right now. And so we're going we're to continue the study of the book of Genesis this morning, and we're going to jump into what is, what is really, to me, one of the most fascinating, prophetic, um, prophetic evangelical, uh, gospel-centered passages in all of the Bible, And you would be surprised to find out that it's right here in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And so uh, we're just going to jump into a a message this morning from Genesis chapter 3. And it's a message that I have titled, The Seed War. Okay, and you're going to find out so much more about that. What does this mean, the seed war? And uh, we're going to jump into Genesis 3 here in just a minute. So what I would encourage you to do, if you're listening from home If you're watching from home, feel free to drop us a comment in the comment section down below. Let us know that you're there. Let us know that you're listening. We'd love to hear those comments from you. And so I know Tommy's in the back probably checking that out right now. And so if any of you guys want to drop some comments in and and, and share with us that you're with us, I encourage you to do that before we get started right here in the book of Genesis chapter 3. So... Genesis 3, the seed war. So if you have your Bibles at home or you're, you have your Bibles there with you, turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to begin in chapter 3. Now, last time we were in the book of Genesis, I taught from uh, the perspective of the curse. And how God pronounced a curse on all of creation. He pronounced a curse on the serpent, who we know is the, the Nakash, or he's, he's Satan, the devil, the, the adversary. He is the, the, the uh, ruler of this world. He has all these different titles and names, but, but he is the one from the very beginning. He's the first original rebel who uh, you know, rebelled against God, uh, came into the garden... To tempt and deceive uh, mankind because of his, really, because of his jealousy and his hatred and his own pride. And so, we saw last time that we were in uh, the book of Genesis that we uh, discussed what it really means for this, this creation to be cursed, that we are cursed in, in, in the fact that we have a sinful nature and, and the serpent has been cursed in his own regard, but also everything and all of creation is suffering from this, what is called this bondage to. Corruption, And so we spent a good bit of time last time looking at what that really means um, that, uh, that God has cursed all of creation. But what's interesting is that in the middle of this curse, in the middle of this pronouncement, as God is really, if you think about it, in Genesis 3, this is, this is man's darkest hour. Uh, man has, has just uh, succumbed to the temptation of the devil. He, is, he has rejected God and disobeyed God's word. He suffered the penalty and the punishment, being cut off from God. I mean, this is—he's uh, been cast out of the paradise of Go- uh, the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is man's darkest hour. And what's so amazing about God and, and His Word is that in the middle or in the midst of man's darkest hour, we see God's pronouncement of the very first proclamation of the gospel. And this is what's so awesome about God is that God is the is the God who's always shining brightest in man's darkest hour. And so when we think about what we're about to read here in Genesis 3, I just want you to put it in the context of God is pronouncing a curse on mankind, on all of creation, and in the middle of this pronouncement of man's darkest hour, he is going to give us a a message of hope. He's going to give us a message, a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. and, And that's why many scholars call this, the Proto-Evangelium, which means kind of the the foretelling of the gospel right here in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And so I want you to turn here in Genesis 3, and I'm just going to read verse 15. And we're going to jump off into this idea of the seed war. Genesis 3, verse 15, says this. So again, the Lord is speaking, and this is what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, okay, that word is seed. Some of your translations may say between your seed and her seed. And then he goes on to say he, okay, singular, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, some of you may say, well, well, what is that talking about? What are we really talking about here? And that, that's exactly what this entire message is going to be about is that God, again, is making a pronouncement between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, okay? So he's making a pronouncement that there will be enmity. So the first thing I want to share with you about this passage this morning is that there is perpetual hatred and hostility that exists between the serpent and the woman, okay, and between the Satan's seed and the woman's seed. That's what we see right here in Genesis 3.15. Okay, so now we've clearly established who the serpent is. Okay, so when, when the Lord says, I will put enmity, there means there's going to be a war. There's going to be a perpetual war, hostility, between the serpent and the woman. We know who the serpent is. He, is. he is the dragon. He is the devil. He is our adversary. He is the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Um, he is uh, Satan, the devil. All of those names that we give him, He is our enemy, right? He's the evil one. So So he is at war with the woman. So if we know who Satan is, then the question is, who in the world is the woman? okay? And this is where it begins to really get fascinating. I think that there are going to be four general applications from the from the Bible that we can that we can get out of this passage when we're trying to identify who is the Lord talking about when he says, I will put war, there will be hostility between the serpent and his seed, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and the woman and her seed. So let me give you a couple of possibilities about what is meant by the woman. First, the woman here represents Eve. So we know that Eve is in the picture because she was the one. This is Adam's wife, the very first woman. She's called the mother of all the living. And so when God says there's going to be a war between the serpent and the woman, he's he's initially talking about a war between Satan, the Nakash, and Eve herself. Because Eve is going to be the progenitor of the entire human race. Every one of us that is alive on the face of the earth today, we are the offspring of Eve because she is the mother of all the living. So everybody who is alive, who is a human, is a direct descendant of this woman who is Eve. And so when this war is pronounced right here in in Genesis chapter 3, it's basically a war that will be, be between Satan and his seed and all of mankind. So you just have to put that in perspective. All of mankind is in view here. So the devil is at war with all of us. And we know that and we understand that, especially as believers. Number two, the woman also represents the faithful mothers, the faithful matriarchs, that God has chosen throughout history to preserve and perpetuate his ancestral lineage of God's people. And even specifically, the, the matriarchs and the mothers who are listed in the genealogies, and those genealogies are there for a reason, because those genealogies lead us to the birth of the Messiah, to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about some of the very key matriarchs, especially in the Old Testament, let me give you a couple of names because I think when we say there's going to be war between the serpent and his offspring and the woman and her offspring, we're also talking about these women in general. So we have people like Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Rebecca, who was the wife of Isaac. We have even some Gentiles in this, which is so fascinating, is that we have people like Rahab and people like Ruth, who both are in the genealogy ...of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first we have the woman represents Eve herself, the mother of all the living. Number two, the woman represents the faithful mothers throughout the generations... ...that God has chosen to continue to preserve this seed throughout all of history. Number three, the woman represents Israel. And so when we say the woman, the woman also represents really the chosen nation of Israel. And the reason that I can say that is because if I turn to the end of the Bible in in Revelation chapter 12... This uh, fascinating passage in Revelation chapter 12 really draws from Genesis 3.15. So I want to read it to you this morning in in Revelation 12, verse 1. It says, There was a great sign that appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant. There you go. Now you have the woman and her seed. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. Now remember, what was the curse of the woman in Genesis 3? Is that she would have pain and agony in suffering through childbirth. And so this passage right here is drawing directly from the curse that we find in Genesis chapter 3. Look at what it says. And another sign in verse 3 appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns on his heads, seven crowns, his, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, there's the woman, who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute, but get the picture now. You have a dragon who we know is, is the, he's the nakash, he's the serpent, he's Satan. He wants to devour the woman and the child of the woman. Look at what it says here. In verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was called up to God and to his throne. So we know now who is the child. We know the child is Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who has been given the title to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He was crucified, he was buried in resurrection and resurrected, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And So this is exactly what this is talking about. Verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, which she's to be nourished for 1260 days. And so if you continue to read the context of, of Revelation chapter 12, you realize that the woman represents the nation of Israel. And so all of a sudden, we're getting a fuller picture of what does it really mean that there's going to be a war, a perpetual war between the woman and the serpent. Now, fourthly, the woman represents Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. And so, yes, Mary was looked upon with great favor by God. He was, she was chosen by God to be a vessel, a servant of the Lord, to bring the Messiah, the offspring of the Messiah, who is the Messiah, into the world. And so we know that Mary, uh, was uh, she conceived not of human seed, but she conceived of the Holy Spirit, uh, which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And so Yeshua, who is her son, you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will be the son of God, he was conceived not of human seed. This is very interesting and very important that we understand that in this entire seed war that we're speaking of today. But he was conceived of divine seed. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit more to you in just a moment. But listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1. It says, Mary said to the angel, so the angel comes to Mary, he says, You know, you're, you're highly favored. I've chosen you to, um, to give birth to a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. And listen to what she says How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so all of a sudden we begin to see now the two natures of Jesus Christ is that he is called both the Son of Man because he was truly human, but he's also called the Son of God because he was truly God, truly divine. And so when we think about the woman, we think about it being both Eve, excuse me, representing Eve, the faithful matriarchs throughout the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel that God chose to bring the Messiah into the world, and then also Mary herself, who was the one chosen by God to bring Jesus into the world. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper into this understanding and concept. What does it mean that there is a seed war? Okay? So seed can refer... To these three things. Seed can refer to the genetic material, and we have, a, big, we have a, a code word for that today. It's called DNA, okay? So now, does the Bible say anything about DNA? No, we've just discovered really within the last 60 or 70 years what DNA even is. But of course, none of this took God by surprise because he created DNA, all of the information systems for the building block for all, all of life. And so when we're talking about seed, this word can refer to the genetic material that we call DNA. It can also refer to physical descendants. So if you have a child, they are your seed or your offspring. And it can also refer to spiritual offspring. Okay, so let's break that down for just a minute. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for seed is zera. In the Greek, the word for seed is sperma, which I think kind of we, we recognize the, the, the word sperm is derived from the Greek word for seed, which is sperma. Now, what do these words mean? Well, these words can refer to a grain, like a a kernel of corn or a kernel of wheat that you put into the ground, you plant it into the ground, and it yields fruit, it bears fruit. It can also, again, mean the genetic material that a father plants into the womb of the mother, which produces offspring, and then it can refer to the spiritual offspring, and, and we understand this even more in the full expression of what it means in the New Testament to be born again, to be spiritually reborn. And there's a, there's a word for that. It means to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so there's this concept that we can be born of the seed of God and be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, meaning that we become a new creation in Christ. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to resist the temptation to over-spiritualize over-spir- everything. Because I think some people want to just take the spiritual application of what it means to be a seed and take that and run with it and neglect the physical and the genetic implications of what it means to have a seed. There is a natural, genetic, physical component to this idea of seed from a biblical perspective. All right, so here's what I want you to think about. The seed is not just the physical delivery system of the egg and the sperm. The chromosomes, 23 chromosomes from the mother, 23 from the father, we combine those 46 chromosomes, create a new human being. We understand that. That's the genetic makeup of a new human being. But it also refers to the immaterial DNA that is encoded on the material proteins of these chromosomes. Now, why is that important? Because DNA is invisible. DNA is ultimately information. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a moment because when we get to be- talk about the birth of Jesus and his DNA, we need to understand that DNA is information, and information is not visible. It is not tangible. It is not physical. Information is immaterial. It is invisible. And yet the, the, the delivery system for that DNA is much, uh, very much physical and material in Structure. And so just I want y'all to kind of be thinking about that as we get a little bit deeper into this discussion. All right, so we've, we've, got, we've identified who the, the serpent is, we've identified who the woman is, we've identified what it means to, to what the biblical concept of seed is. Okay, now let's jump in a little bit deeper. Satan has been working relentlessly from the beginning to contaminate the whole earth with his evil seed and eliminate the seed of the woman. Okay, So when God says there's going to be enmity, there's going to be a war between the serpent and his seed and the woman and her seed, we've seen from the very beginning that the seed of the serpent has been expressed in this world and the purpose of Satan's seed is to, number one, contaminate the human race to completely eliminate God's people, to completely eliminate mankind from the face of of the planet. So when Satan is working, he's trying to do one of those two things. He's either going to try to contaminate or he's going to try to completely eliminate because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so let's talk a little bit more about that now. So there is, there has been in the past genetic manipulation that the, that the serpent and the forces of evil have carried out on, the, on this planet. Now that may take you some of you, by surprise, I'm not going to spend much time here, but when you look at the days of Noah and what was going on with the flood, we understand that there were there was some uh, some very heinous and profane acts going on by the quote, sons of God, who took the daughters of men, and they did uh, they did a profane act of uh, some type of sexual uh, act. They crossed the boundary that God had established, and they produced, in the land in those days, something called the giants, the Nephilim. Now again, we're going to dig in, into that in a future lesson on down the road. But, but again, I want you all to understand what that is. That is the seed of Satan. And this is very much a physical manifestation of what was happening in the days of Noah. The Satan and his uh, fallen angels were manipulating and, and tinkering with the genetic, the genetics of mankind. And it was producing this hybrid demonic race called the Nephilim, okay? And we see this these giants not just before the flood, but we also see them in the land of Canaan after the flood. There's going to be a direct connection right there. But I don't want to spend too much time there because we know that that was one way Satan tried to manifest his seed in a physical way, but he also is trying to completely manifest his seed in a spiritual way as well. Now, one more thought about the physical manifestation of the seed of Satan We know him, his greatest attempt to manifest his seed in a a physical way is going to be in the last days with someone that the Bible calls the beast, someone that the Bible calls the man of lawlessness, someone that the Bible calls the son of perdition. We know him as the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a physical manifestation of the devil. It'll be a, a manipulation, a genetic manipulation of the seed of Satan. His DNA will be infused somehow with, the, with human DNA, and that's who the Antichrist will be. He will be a false messiah. He will be a, fa- a counterfeit Christ coming into the world to try to assume power and control of the world. And so we know that that will be the express seed of Satan in the last days. So, but that's from a physical perspective. But now let's talk about what it means for Satan to also eliminate the human race. So let's say he couldn't contaminate all of the human race, but he most certainly will try to eliminate the human race. Well, we've seen this happening from the beginning. Jesus said that Satan, the devil, he is the father of lies, that when he lies, he speaks his native language. You know what Jesus said? He said, he has been a murderer from the very what? From the very beginning. Satan has been a murderer from the very beginning. And so he has been sowing seeds, spiritually speaking. Think about the seeds that Satan sows in our world. Seeds of hate, seeds of fear, seeds of death, seeds of destruction, seeds of of immorality. Okay, That's where we are right now in this world. I mean, think about everything that's going on right now with this coronavirus crisis. You know what? I know God is allowing this to happen, and God is, is way, he's, He is so far ahead of this that, that, that we can rest and trust in Him. But I'm going to tell you something this is not of God, this is of the devil. He is sowing seeds in our world today to bring this nation down, to bring the world down, to cast fear and bring destruction and, uh, and ultimately death to the human race. And this is just another one of His attempts, I believe, with all of my heart, for the seed war is on display in our day right now with this coronavirus crisis. So don't don't miss that, the spiritual implications of what's happening. Now let me give you another practical application of how Satan has been trying to eliminate the human race from the beginning because he's a murderer. And I want you all to just, just sit and think about this for one second. Last year, the leading cause of death in the world was abortion. Last year, in 2019, over 42.3 million babies were murdered in our world. I want us to let that sink in for just a second. 42.3 million babies never got to see the light of day because they were murdered before they could ever breathe and take their first breath. Now, just to put this into perspective, we know how bad cancer is. Did you know that last year only, uh, I shouldn't say only, just 8 million people died of cancer last year worldwide. 8 million. And that's terrible, that's tragic, and many of us have lost loved ones to something as terrible as cancer. But put that into perspective, 42.3 million babies died last year. The leading cause of death in our world is Abortion, in other words, Satan is eliminating the seed of the woman. He is effectively attacking the seed of the woman and killing and murdering children, innocent, precious children in cold blood. And if you don't think that has seed war written all over it, we've got to get our heads out of the sand. Guess what? Here in the United States of America, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, we have murdered 60 million babies in the name of choice. You see, this is what I'm talking about. If Satan can't contaminate the human race, he wants to eliminate the human race, and he's using something like abortion at the tune of 40 million babies every single year on the face of the planet and killing them in cold blood. That's the reality, and that's the kind of thing that we need to come to grips with as a nation, as a church. I want to share this story about my mother because I'm just going to go ahead and take this advantage to do it. And I wasn't even, I don't even think I was even alive here. My dad shared this story with me. But this will tell you what kind of person my mother is. Uh, she was not a perfect person. I'm not, I'm not trying to build her up to be this some type of, of, of you, know, you know, super holy person. She was a, a normal person who loved Jesus, but she made a difference in her life. But my dad tells the story. That he and my mom were out somewhere one day. I'm not sure where they were. They they got out of the car. They were about to go wherever it was they were going. And a young lady ran up to my mother. My dad had no idea who this young lady was. She runs up to my mother. She's bawling. She's weeping. She's crying tears. And she just embraces my mother and just holds on to her and just tells her how much she loves her and how thankful she is for her. And coming up behind that young lady is her child. And... Apparently what happened, later my dad, you know, he didn't even know what it was all about. And later my dad asked my mom, you know, what was that all about? And she said, well, this lady came to me. She was pregnant, unwanted pregnancy. And she was seeking an abortion. And she just happened to, to talk to me and I had an opportunity to counsel her. And my mother convinced her to choose life. And now that young lady has a child in this world. And she came and hugged my mama's neck and wept over her because she knew how precious and how beautiful and valuable that child was to her. And so that's the kind of thing that, we're, that we have to really stop and think about as Christians and believers, guys. There is an, an all-out assault by the seed of Satan, by his offspring, to eliminate mankind from the face of the earth, to continue to kill especially those most vulnerable in our society. Now let's think about this from a spiritual perspective. Satan's seed has been expressed spiritually in the hearts of men. And I'm going to read this from 1 John 3, 8, because this passage of Scripture perhaps really encapsulates and summarizes this whole seed war more than anything else. 1 John 3, verse 8. Listen to what this says. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen to that. Now listen to what it says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. You see, this is the exact language that we're talking about. This is God's seed. When you're born of the Holy Spirit, you're born of the enduring word of God. God's seed is planted in you and it begins to bear fruit. So so God is saying you know, we can't live in habitual sin without conviction if we're truly born of God because the spirit of God lives in us and we have been transformed from the inside out. And so therefore we cannot continue to live in habitual sin and practice sin without conviction and without um you know, falling on our face and feeling miserable about it. We just can't continue to sin with no conscience because we've been born of God. God's seed abides in us. Listen to what he says. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So we know we're talking about spiritual rebirth here. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 1 John 3.10. This is the seed war. There are people who are children of God and there are also people who are what? children of the devil. Jesus even said that again in John chapter 8. He said, you are of your father the devil when he was condemning the religious leaders of his day. It says, we are either the children of God or we are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So guys, let me just tell you about Satan. He knows the end game, okay? Now let me tell you something. He did everything that he possibly could do to prevent the birth of the Messiah. Satan's goal from the very beginning was this. He knew that God made this this public declaration. He knew that there would come one from the seed of the woman who would crush his head one day. And so in his mind, he said, okay, if I'm going to be crushed by the coming Messiah, by the coming offspring of the woman, then guess what? My whole plan is just to eliminate mankind. If I can cut off and kill all of mankind, then my, my, my foe, my enemy, will not be born, and therefore I will save myself. So Satan knows this endgame. He's been trying to cut off the seed of the woman from the very beginning to prevent the Messiah from being born. And so the only way that he could stop this prophecy from being fulfilled was to kill the offspring of mankind. Now I want you all to think about when you start reading your Bible in the context of the seed war your Bible will come alive like never before. Let me give you just some very simple biblical examples about how Satan has been trying from the beginning to crush and cut off the seed of the woman who is the Messiah. Okay? Listen to this. In Genesis 6 with the flood, mankind almost got wiped off the face of the earth. There was only one family left at that time. Think about it. Satan almost did what he was setting out to do right before the flood but God kept Noah and his family alive. You think about Abraham and Sarah and everything that was going on between them when they had to go into Egypt and and uh, and then uh, they were not trusting God and then, you know, Abraham gave his wife, excuse me, uh, Sarah convinced Abraham to go into his maidservant and they had an illegitimate son who became Ishmael and you kind of have all this friction and tension and all these dynamics that were, that was part of the seed war because Abraham was promised to have an offspring, a son of promise, who was Isaac. And so we see how Satan was at work even then. Then there was a famine in Jacob's day. And Joseph was sent to Egypt ahead of time to save the people of Israel. And so we see how that has worked, uh, that God preserved a seed through Jacob and through Joseph and his family. Then you think about in the days of Moses. What did we find Pharaoh doing in the days of Moses? He was murdering all of the what? All of the Hebrew babies. Why was, why was Pharaoh murdering all the, uh, the Hebrew babies? Well, yeah, it says that he was afraid of how uh, big the, the, people of, uh, the, the Hebrew people had gotten and how numerous they had become, but this was a seed war. This was an attack on the people of God to kill the seed, to cut off the seed from Israel. Then you think about Haman in the days of Esther. Haman sent out an edict throughout the whole land of Persia to wipe out all the Jews on the face of the earth. That was part of the seed war. Then you go all the way to Herod in Bethlehem. When Herod heard about the Magi who came and said, where is the one who was born, the king of the Jews? What did Herod do? He went to Bethlehem. And he tried to kill, he did, he killed all the what? All the baby boys. He killed all the children in Bethlehem. And you see that time and time again the serpent has tried and sought to eliminate the seed. Even the cross itself was an attempt by Satan, the rulers and the principalities of power of evil. They thought when they put Jesus on the cross that they had won the seed war. They thought they had accomplished and had victory over the Son of God by nailing him unto the cross. And had they known what God was up to, they would have not put him on the cross because it was God's foreordained plan ahead of time to accomplish salvation and redemption and the very crushing blow towards Satan was for Jesus to go willingly to the cross on our behalf. So the seed war is all over the scriptures and we began to see that through and through. I got a few more points that I want to share with you this morning as we kind of bring this thing to a head. Number four, God has always preserved for himself a surviving remnant throughout history to maintain the integrity of the seed line of the Messiah. Now, if you think about the covenants that God made with Abraham, the covenants that God made with David, it always involves you and your offspring, you and your seed. God promised Abraham that his offspring would inherit the land. God promised David that he would have one from his descendants who would sit on the throne of Israel, on the throne of David, forever. This is all the the promises of God to maintain and preserve a faithful remnant uh, throughout all of human history. And so no matter how much Satan has attacked, no matter how much Satan has persecuted the people of Israel, no matter how much Satan has persecuted the people of God and the church of God, God always preserves for himself a faithful remnant who will not bow their knee to the devil. Number five, in the fullness of time, the book of Galatians says, Jesus Christ was born of a woman as the promised seed of salvation for the whole world. In the book of Galatians chapter 3, I just want to share this with you. Listen to what it says in Galatians 3.16. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, to his seed. And it does not say to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul brings all of this together. He says, hey, the promise that God made to Abraham to bless all nations, and through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, guess what? That was Jesus. Christ is the promised Messiah. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman. See, that's a direct connection to the promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.16. The, the war will be between Satan and his seed and the woman and her seed and in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was brought into the world through a woman. And so this is the beautiful picture that we see. And another thing, of just to, to, to clarify, that Jesus did not receive the seed of man. And, and why is that very important? Because all of us have received and inherited a sinful nature through who? Through Adam. But Jesus did not have an earthly father. So he did not receive that sinful nature, that Y chromosome that's been passed down to us throughout every generation. Jesus received the DNA of the Holy Spirit. So you have Mary's DNA and you have the Holy Spirit's DNA combined in conversion. That created the embryo that became Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who has two natures. Truly God, truly man. So it's very important that we understand that. Now, number number six. The good news today, for any of you that may be out there listening, here's some of the best news you will ever hear. The good news of the gospel is that God has made a way for hostile sinners. Listen to me. Before you and I have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible calls us? Enemies of God. Hostile sinners who are at war with God. And the only way that we can ever be made at peace with God is through faith in Jesus Christ who gives us the the privilege of being spiritually reborn through faith and becoming sons and daughters of God. That's what Galatians chapter 3 speaks of. Listen to what it says in verse 25. It says, But now faith has come, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to The promise. Did y'all catch that? That we become heirs and we become the seed of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. So, all of the promises that God made to Abraham, that God made to David, that God made to the children of Israel, eventually have become ours through faith in Jesus. And that's the privilege that we have now to be called sons and daughters of God. This is one of the greatest blessings that any of us can ever have. And so, that is the privilege that we have to be reborn and to be called sons and daughters of God. And here's my last point this morning. And this is, this is maybe my favorite. Is that although Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil the first time, and we know that through his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says he came and he destroyed the works of the devil. So how did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Well, I want you to think about it. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he took men and women who were at war with God and who were slaves to sin and who were under the bondage of satanic power and he has redeemed us and he has brought us back into a relationship with him. And so by doing that, through redemption, through salvation, every time a person is saved and born again, that is a destruction of the work of the devil. And so that's how Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil the first time. But don't miss this point. He has also promised to return one day and ultimately crush the head of the snake once and for all. And so when you see Genesis 3.15, don't miss this. It says that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head even though you will bruise his heel. What does that mean? Satan did deliver a strike to the Lord Jesus Christ and bruised his heel at the cross because it cost Jesus his life even though he would be resurrected from the dead. So Satan delivered a blow to Jesus, and it bruised his heel. But what does the Scripture say that Jesus did to the serpent? He crushed his head. Now, we know that 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 has not been finalized yet. He has destroyed the, the works of the devil in one regard through his death, burial, and resurrection, but we're still waiting the day when Jesus returns from heaven. And guys, this is what is amazing about when you start reading your Old Testament prophecies. Over and over and over again when you read the Old Testament prophets and they talk about Jesus returning from heaven to earth, it says that he is coming to what? To crush the head of his enemies. To tread the winepress of the fury of God. To rule the nations with the rod of iron and, and stomp the head of the enemy. And so you see these passages over and over again about how Jesus will ultimately and finally crush the head of our enemy of Satan when he returns and he's going to cast him into the lake of fire eventually and that our enemy will be ultimately defeated once and for all. Now I'm going to share this last passage of scripture before we sing. During this time of the coronavirus and and all of the kind of the fear and the the hysteria that, that has come along with it, one of the passages of scripture that I keep seeing circulating all around social media and, and different uh, people in the, in the body of Christ, is Psalm 91. And the reason that Psalm 91 is so interesting is because, you know, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And it talks about how God will deliver us from the deadly pestilence and, and that he will guard his angels concerning us, to, to, not allow us to, for not, to not allow any harm to come upon us. And so we, we use that psalm to, to bring ourselves comfort as we should but I want y'all to remember one thing. The Messianic Psalm 91 is about Jesus ultimately. And it just so happens that as I'm reading Psalm 91 this week, guess what I found in the middle of Psalm 91? The seed war. So let me read this to you from Psalm 91 verse 9. Listen to this. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now we know, you remember Satan actually quoted this to Jesus during his temptation. Satan used this scripture to tempt Jesus, but it was always about Jesus ultimately surrendering his life to the Father, but I want you to see what the next verse in Psalm 91 says. Psalm 91:13. listen to what it says. You will tread on the lion and on the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample under your feet. Do you see the picture there? In one of the greatest messianic psalms that we have, Psalm 91, the seed war is front and center where that promise is that when Jesus returns, he's going to trample and tread on the head of the snake and crush him once and for all. Guys, I don't know about you, but that brings me a tremendous amount of comfort because, number one, I know that I'm born of God. I know in my heart the Spirit of God testifies in my spirit that I'm a child of God. I want to encourage any of you out there listening, if there's any doubt in your mind today that you belong to God, that he is your heavenly Father, that you are his Son, and you are his or his daughter. I want you to please just call out unto the name of the Lord today. Just please reach out and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to save you, receive life through him, receive forgiveness to him, from him. You will be able able to enter into a relationship with him and forevermore you can know that you are secure, that your soul is safe and secure in the regeneration and being born again of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the greatest truths that we as God's people can hold on to. We need to be reminded that we are God's children and no one can snatch us out of his hand in these last days. And so when we think about what it means to be a son and a daughter of God, I hope and pray this morning that you can confidently in your heart and in your soul know that you are his children. And if not, let today be the day that you belong and that you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Guys, I want to thank you. This is one of my favorite lessons. I hope that it's been edifying to you. And we're going to sing one more song. So, look, you don't have to go to lunch today, right? Because you're probably already sitting at home anyway. So, it's a little bit after 12 o'clock. And so, we're going to come together and and sing another song. And so, I want you guys to just worship with us from home. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And uh, we will be wrapping this thing up here shortly. So, let's all pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you for calling us your children that we may be born of God and and be able to receive the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the promise, God, that you have preserved a faithful remnant for generations. And, Lord, thank you for the promise that you will return, Lord Jesus, and that ultimately, Lord, you will crush the head of the serpent. And that, Lord, you will reign victorious. And that, Lord, all of your children, all of your people will have the privilege and honor to live with you and dwell with you forever in your kingdom. And, Lord, may you be glorified through your people today. It's in the wonderful and the precious name of Jesus we do pray. Amen.